This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Dave and I love to fly fish the big rivers of Montana, the Yellowstone, the Madison, the Missouri. But I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Our favorite places are actually the smaller creeks and streams. Man, there is something about them that move us in a way that the, the larger rivers just don't. And we, we love the larger rivers, but, man, there's just something about those small streams. Uh, recently, someone left a review on iTunes, and they asked, any chance you could talk about small stream fishing in Montana? So we're going to... Uh, respond to that request and that's what we're going to talk about today uh, fly fishing the small creeks in montana actually in the kind of the greater yellowstone uh, area uh, dave maybe a good place to start is to talk about why we fell in love with small stream fishing in the first place and i i don't know that i've ever asked you this or heard you say but but what is it that made you uh i don't know fall in love with small stream fishing or how did that happen for you I think it was Warm Springs Creek near Lewistown, Montana, and it was a small, I think it was a spring creek, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was, yep. And even as I'm talking, I have this vision of a late afternoon fall day with the sun dancing off the water and catching these 10 to 12 inch rainbows. And, and some of them may have been eight inches, but they were ubiquitous, meaning just catch you. I caught fish all the time. And so I think warm springs, the emotion I have is lots of fish completely alone. I often went out alone. I've often wondered if, if for some reason you and I move apart or not able to fish as much together if I would continue to fly fish as much as I do. And, and I was reflecting on that the other day, realized, no, I actually have gone out a lot alone, especially when I was younger. So that Warm Springs Creek, I caught so many fish and I'm just so grateful for that. And that really triggered my love for the small stream. And that's really cool. I, I think for me, I remember when I was maybe seven or eight years old that we were camped in Glacier National Park at uh, Two Medicine Lake Campground. And by the way, I remember my dad and my grandpa going hiking up to Upper Two Medicine Lake, and they came back. Uh, they were, you know, they, they, neither of them fly fish, but they came back with their limit, which was 10 or 12 brook trout. They were all 12, 13 inches, just gorgeous brookies. But, uh, about a year later when we were back there, my dad took my, took me and took my brother Dave out on this little stream that that ran into uh, Two Medicine Lake. And I remember we hiked. I thought we hiked a long time. I think it was only uh, – went back later when I was in high school. It's like, oh, this is only three, 400 yards in. And there was this little stream, and, and there were some beaver dams. And I remember the water cascading over this little beaver dam, and there was a and I know I'm sure I had a worm on or a salmon egg and threw it in there and caught a brookie and then caught another one. I just thought this is the greatest thing. And then, 
you know, about the same time, maybe it was a year later, my grandparents lived in northern Pennsylvania in McKean County. And just down the road from my grandparents' house, they lived near Smithport, Pennsylvania, there was a, there was a little creek named Cole Brook. I think it was Cole Brook. And I remember catching little brookies out of that. And then, I don't know, my high school years, a lot of uh, fishing on the Big Thompson River in Rocky Mountain National Park. And, of course, uh, if listeners haven't been there, don't let the word river fool you. It's a, it's a small stream. Uh, at, at places you could almost jump over it. And I, I, I think those experiences was just something that made me, uh, I, I just resonated with that. So as you think about it, Dave, what is it that you love? What, what is it that we love about small stream fishing? I mean, what, what's the appeal? Because, I mean, I, you're the same way. I, I love getting out of the, the Yellowstone, that, that big water, and the Madison, and so, Dave, what is the appeal of these small streams? The first, and it's obvious, is that there is just a lack of pressure. You tend to fish these small streams alone. And I think if you're a fly fisher, no fly fisher wants to fish with other fly fishers unless it's with you know, his or her partner. And, and so there's nothing more frustrating than getting to a stretch on the river and somebody's there right and it's not a river it's a creek if it's a small creek you pretty much you pretty much need to move on and so the thing i love most is the isolation uh just the fact that there's not a lot of fly fishers who fish on these small streams now that's not as true in the minnesota wisconsin driftless because in a sense all of them are small creeks but if you go to a place that is that has both large rivers like Montana and small creeks, people tend to fish the big rivers. They fish, you're right, the Yellowstone, the Gallat. The Gallatin is just, oh my gosh, you and I just have never, I can't, of all the years we've fished in Montana, I don't think you and I have fished the Gallatin more than two or three times, maybe only two times, simply because it's so packed with fly fishers that it just becomes it's just it's just unnecessary to fish there. So we love the big rivers. So it, small creek fishing in Montana makes sense because it's juxtaposed with these larger rivers. And so these smaller creeks, as we said, just tend not to get fished that much. Yeah, I know there's days where we'd be driving to a little creek somewhere up out of Paradise Valley, south of Livingston, and man, you can just see the drift boats are... You know, it's like a traffic jam going down the river, and then you get up to one of these small creeks, and there's nobody fishing. So, yeah, I, I agree. That that may be the top reason. You know, something else I really like, too, is, is these smaller creeks are just easier to manage. They're easier to wade. Um, yeah, I, I know there's something about being able to wade right across these things at certain points that, uh, you just don't have to fight the current. I mean, you still have to be careful, but maybe the danger factor isn't quite as much. But, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, sometimes we fish bigger rivers and you spend some time having to wade and just deal with that, the, you know, current that's just putting pressure on you all the time. It's like, man, it's just nice to fish something where that's not an issue. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I would also say I'm going to give two reasons here about why I love fishing 
uh, smaller creeks, the smaller streams. One is the runs and pools are more pronounced. So let's say in the big rivers, yeah. like a Madison, and one of the things that you said in a recent podcast that you and I have practiced is that think of that bigger river as a small stream. So fish that first 10 to 15 yards um, and think of that instead of trying to imagine trying to fish this entire river, fish that first 10 to 15 yards. Well, that makes complete sense to me. Or maybe it's, you know, I don't, maybe it's 10 feet, you know, whatever that yeah. is, that first small thin section as you step into the river, but with small spring creeks and freestones, small freestones, the pools and the runs are more pronounced. So you don't have to guess, you know where they are. And if you've done any fly fishing at all, you know where the trout tend to sit in those things. And so um, I feel like it's easier for me to uh, cast. I'm not saying I'm an accurate caster because I'm not. But at least I know where I should cast in yeah. these, these smaller, smaller streams. The corollary to that, which is really important, is I really love the idea of stocking fish. I love that part about fly fishing. It's what I love about fishing all the spring creeks and the driftless, the Minnesota driftless and the Wisconsin driftless is that you just can't straddle up or or saunter up to a, a run and start casting. You just can't. Those fish are gone the moment, you know, <laughs> the moment you get within 10, you know, 10 feet of that of that run. So, I love the idea of stalking, crawling up on my knees. Uh, which forces me to slow down. It's just a lot different fishing than it is fishing in those big rivers. Man, I've never thought of that first one, David. That makes absolute sense. I mean, you know, these these runs really are more pronounced. Some of the runs that we do well on in the Madison or the Yellowstone, they're, they're just long runs or they're kind of these flats, maybe at the side of a run. And and, you know, there could be fish anywhere in those. But, yeah, there, there's something about a smaller run where you know exactly where the fish are going to be if they're there. Yeah. You know, maybe one more thing that, uh, that I, I think about in terms of why I love small stream fishing is it, it allows you to use lighter rods. Kind yeah. of that ultralight oh, yeah. feel. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I got hooked on that back when I was a spin fisher and, and I, I love those little ultralight rod and reel combinations. And, you know, and so now when I fly fish, it's, it's kind of fun to, you know, get the eight and a half, you know, four weight out there and those little streams. So, yeah, those are, those are some of the reasons. You know, it might be fun to talk a little bit about some of our favorites and, and why. So as you think about favorite streams, what are some of the ones, Dave, over the years that you'd say, man, I, I just love that place. One is Taylor's Fork, which is between Four Corners, uh, which is west of Bozeman and, well, actually, yeah, it's between Four Corners and, and West Yellowstone, but it's really between Big Sky, the turnoff to go to the Big Sky Resort and, and West Yellowstone. So it's, yeah. it's south of there on 191. And one of the things about Taylor's Fork is it's the highest per capita of grizzlies, so, you know. Uh, Fisher beware, but I've had some really, really good days there. I think the caveat with Taylor's Fork is it depends on the year. So you and I have been there during a year in which there was very little runoff because there was hardly any snowpack that year. 
And, and consequently, the stream was so, so tiny. There were hardly any runs. I remember that day because I snapped the tip off of my rod. And it had to, and it, it must have been a weak part of the, um, you know, I didn't catch it in a door or, uh, you know, while I'm walking, hit the ground. It just snapped off in the middle of a cast. But I remember you caught two that day. I didn't catch any. But that creek was so small and so different from the way I had fished it about two or three years earlier with my brother. So I love Taylor's Fork. I think it just depends on the flow, and that thing flows into the Gallatin. And, um, but you can drive up there, and, and you have to beware. There's all these willow bushes, just perfect for a grizzly to be hiding behind. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but I love that place. I love the country back up in there. It's beautiful, and you could fish that thing for quite a ways. It gets it gets really small, pretty fast. But in a in a year in which there's a good runoff, Taylor's Fork is a good place to to try to catch fish. Yeah, that really is a gem. That is a gem. You know, one of the ones that one of the places I really love is uh, I'm just going to say it, it's an unnamed stream. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, which makes it sound a lot better than it might be. But it's a stream where I bow hunted for elk. And, you know, one year, um, I'm trying to remember why, but I actually stuck my fly rod in. And, and you know, we'd, we'd go in and we'd either you'd bow hunt early in, the, early in the morning or then, you know, early in the evening. Because that's when the, you know, you're hunting during the rut bulls are bugling and you know after about 10 o'clock or or before four or five o'clock you know it's not going to have any action so anyway we crossed this little creek and and i can't remember if i scared a trout or just thought this might be good and sure enough on the first cast i caught this it was like a nine inch fish but it was a football it was this is a yellowstone cutthroat obviously a native fish and I thought this is amazing and and you know we in fact then my brother and I went back to fish the, just to fish the thing and yeah a few years ago uh, we were there back in Montana for a wedding and I took my sons uh, to this place and uh, yeah we fished it a little bit lower section and and again did pretty well I mean Dave nobody fishes that thing and I I just wonder, I mean, there's some small streams like Taylor's Fork where we know that there are fly fishers that fish that, but there are some other streams, and this is up in the wilderness area, uh, where the only people who go up there to hunt elk are the fly fishers I know are packing in, they're going in on horseback to a high mountain lake, so, you know, there's just nobody that fishes these, and it's not like there's... You know, 15, 16 inches, they're, they're probably all 8 to, to 10 inches. But, yeah. yeah, you can just tell these fish have not been caught. Some of them have been there a long time. They're just fat and healthy. And so, yeah, may, maybe this is, uh, this is to, here's to all the unnamed, unknown streams that people overlook. There's, they still exist. Yeah, you know, they really they do. They really do, yeah. Yeah. What's another one you enjoy? Another one I enjoy is Fan Creek, which is actually not too far from Taylor's Fork. I think it's Taylor Fork, not Taylor's Fork. Yeah, um, Taylor Fork. Yeah. yeah, Taylor Fork. It's called Fan Creek. And that one, whereas uh, Taylor Fork flows from the west to the east into the Gallatin, Fan Creek flows from the east to the west into the Gallatin. And so you have to hike up 
a ways. You have to hike up, what, a mile or two. Um, yeah. At least that's what we did. And again, we, there or was two a... miles Or two miles if you leave your fly rod in the top of the <laughs> SUV like I did. <laughs> Tell that story again. I forget what happened. Oh, well, remember, we, we, we got out of the SUV, you know, we we're parked there right along 191 and, and we, you know, we booked it down the trail and, and I don't know if it's, maybe it's because it was another fly fisher that had just pulled in. So we're in a hurry and, and about a mile in, I think it was a mile, maybe it was only three quarters of a mile, but it was a good ways in. Uh, there was another group of people who passed us. So we got off the side of the trail so they could come by. And I looked down my hand and thought, I don't have my fly rod. And I thought, what did I do? Did I set it down? Did I drop it? And so I'm thinking back to, did we stop? Well, no, we haven't stopped. And then it dawned on me, I bet I left that thing. So you stayed there. I've booked it back. And of course, the fly fisher we were trying to beat uh, I think got ahead of us, and uh, yeah, there it was. My fly rod was still on the top of the SUV. So, yeah, so that's that's my memory of Fan Creek. I'm, I'm maybe that scarred me a bit, but no, that's a terrific little place. Yeah, that I love Fan Creek. What about you? Another one that you like especially? You know, while we're still in Yellowstone National Park, uh, yeah, I. I love uh, right around the Indian Creek Campground, which would be just a little way south of Mammoth. You kind of go up, uh, uh, kind of up on this huge flat uh, up above Mammoth. Uh, Indian Creek Campground. So there's both Indian Creek and then the Gardner River, and it's it's a lot smaller. I mean, it's you know it's, it's not huge down by Mammoth. I mean, it's still small there. But, places we easily wade across it but uh, but up on top up in this flat man it it's it's a small creek and i remember years ago used to camp there at indian creek campground and we get out in those two creeks and they're just beautiful and not many people fish those i mean right near the campground yes but in fact there's another there's another creek there i don't know if it's called obsidian i can't remember but there's so many little creeks there that everybody's fishing right along the road. But all you have to do is to, you know, hike back like a half a mile or a mile, and nobody fishes that. So here we were. We get to the to the uh, kind of out of the trail where you know the, the main area where you would enter. And we look back, and here's a sign that says "closed for grizzly activity." It's like, oh, oh my. great. Yeah. So I guess there had been some bears in there and they, they thought to make sure there were no encounters, they'd keep people out. Well, uh, somehow we got in the back way and we didn't see those, but that's a fun, those creeks are fun. I just remember catching, you know, again, small fish, but you know, they'd hit a tractor patterns. We did a lot of dry fly fishing and it was just this gorgeous setting. So yeah, very, very fun. Other places in Montana, Dave, that you, you think of besides Yellowstone? So I would say another one is definitely Elk Creek, which is near Augusta, Montana. It's not in the Yellowstone ecosystem, and it's, it's, it's quite a ways if you're flying into Bozeman. It's really you, it's west of Great Falls, and uh, Elk Creek flows out of, I think it's, it's not the it's the scapegoat wilderness that it yeah. flows out of and yeah. so you can drive to 
the uh, national forest and and fish up near where we used to camp it's really small yeah. there and it's tough to find it's really tough to find good pools that far down uh, but farther down in the valley as you drive up um, we used to fish at a place we called Flossie's and Flossie was this 85 90 year old woman that was 40 years ago <laughs> so uh, she is long gone and I know that her land has been purchased by uh, another rancher and so it has no trespassing on it now so I don't know if you can get access to it from one of the bridges in Montana there's the uh, the high water mark what's the name of that what's the name of the the actual uh, law oh yeah I think it's just the you know, What's the actual technical name? Yeah, that's terrible. The, uh, oh man. It, the idea is yeah. that you could walk upstream on anybody's property as long as you don't walk above the high water mark. You know, the highest yeah, stream point. side access. I think that's what yeah. it's called, the stream yeah. side access. So that's a really nice uh, element of fishing in Montana. The big thing is, you know, where do you get access? Can you get access on a bridge uh, or someplace? But so I don't know if, in fact, you can even fish low in the lower parts anymore. But if you could get on there, I tell you what, there was some days that I just, in my mind, I think of as some of the best days I've ever had on the water in terms of the browns, the size of the browns. Again, 16, 17 inch brown trout. We also caught rainbow and brook trout. They used to have some beaver dams. And those are long gone now, too. But, again, it's a great small creek. And I think there are so many of these small creeks. And, and really what you need is a national forest map. Um, you know, there's so many online maps that you can get now. And, and just to follow them out of, a, at least if you're in Montana, follow some of these creeks out of, out of the mountains and see where they flow into. Same as in Colorado. They don't have quite the generous access law in Montana, or excuse me, in Colorado. But, uh, but there's still a lot of small creeks with some really, really good fishing. Oh, I remember in Colorado, uh, up in the Mill Creek, drainage um and not that far from bear lake there's just a whole web of trails and i remember fishing those when i was in high school with my uncle ivan and we get off the beaten path and sometimes it's just because we flat out got lost and we would we'd fish these creeks that i couldn't take you there if if you paid me to do it who knows where they were but we'd fish these creeks and uh and sometimes there were beaver dams and oh man they were so good but hey, maybe one more in Montana that we have to mention that has river in its name, but it's really a small creek is uh, the Boulder River south of Big Timber. Now it is a it's a small river as you drive up the valley, but once you get above what they call the natural bridge, so one minute you're in Forest Service, the next minute you're going by private property, but. Uh, once you're up in the mountains, that's just a beautiful, beautiful little creek, and you know you can easily cross it. But there are some there are some big pools, and man, we've we've uh, we've had some pretty good days at different places, and and that that's one of those that a lot of people fish. But there's so much water that you know if you work at it, you can you can get to some stretches that uh, not a lot of people are fishing, and it's got everything from slower water to a little faster water. So, 
you know, I, I guess we could spend, you know, two more hours just talking about some of the little streams that we've fished on over the years in Montana. But, uh, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of good places, and you just have to get out and give them a try. Well, that's the other thing I think we should mention. I think certainly with these small creeks, you just don't know until you fish them. And yes. And since there's not a lot of intel at the fly shop, so the one thing I have learned through the years that if you go to a fly shop in Montana and ask them about the smaller creeks, you generally don't get any intel because they're not guiding on those creeks. And and, and so a lot of it is you just have to try it out and see what you, you know, like with Taylor Fork. Again, it also depends on the year. So if you know you're going into Montana and it's been a really dry year, they didn't have a lot of snow in the mountains uh, in the wintertime, just know that some of those small creeks are going to be a lot smaller <laughs> and the runs yeah. are going to be a lot smaller. And it, and like that year that you and I tried out Taylor Fork, it may not, it may not work. It might be a wasted afternoon, but any, it's not wasted. Any afternoon fly fishing is not wasted, but it might not be very productive. So I think a lot of these freestones, at least in the West, depend on really good snowfall in the in the winter time, and 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 so if you're fishing in July and August, September, especially in September, right, the creek, the flows get really really low in September, and if you're fishing during that time, the risk is that it you know the pools might be really shriveled and and small. There's always a chance, so that's that's to your point. You just have to sometimes try a stream, you know, year after year. And one year you might hit it, doesn't mean next year will be good. Or if it's not a good year, try it again. You never know. Hey, why don't we uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we talk about some just some tips for success? I mean, you know, fly fishing is fly fishing is fly fishing. But yeah, the smaller streams uh, require a little bit different approach. Uh, Dave, what would you say to somebody who is uh, uh, maybe a little bit used to the, the bigger rivers and they want to try a small creek? What would you tell them? So, so some of these uh, these points here uh, we're distilling from our previous uh, conversation in this episode. But again, if you're going to fish the smaller creeks, you do need to think differently and how you approach the creek, whether it's a freestone or a spring creek. And that is that you have to stock the fish. You have to either get on top of the run, but you, you know, or fi or fish it from the bottom. But whatever you do, you have to maintain a low profile. And so, in addition to maintaining a low profile, um, sometimes, well, always you need to wear clothes that blend in with the environment because that easily scares the fish as well. Again, some of these principles are the same as fishing on some of the larger rivers, but the, the idea of sneaking up on the run, keeping a low profile, generally in some of these smaller creeks, you only get one shot, right? You get one cast. Or if you catch a fish, it's tough to catch two fish right after, one after another. Now, that's not, a, that, that's not always true. I, re, <laughs> I just had this this image of you catching two fish one after the other from that small run that we like on the boulder, that one that oh, you yeah. like. And and so it does happen, right? Sometimes, I think if I remember right, you caught it at the back of the run, and then the other one you caught way at the front of the run. So generally you get one shot in some of these runs, and you just need to move on. That would be the, well, we could talk about that, but let's just say it. You have to keep moving on these small runs. One or yeah. two casts, boom, you move on. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right, one other thing is to use attractor patterns, and I know they work on big rivers too, but at least for me, I think I've had as much success on small streams. Uh, it just seems like sometimes on a, especially on a warm afternoon, you know, those, those smaller fish, eight to 10 inches, they're still very eager to rise to something. So if you, you know, if you drift a big attractor pattern, you know, by an undercut bank or by a rock or something, man, you're going to get some action. Now, th there is a corollary to that, though. Uh, don't ignore uh, hatches. Uh, don't assume that, well, you know, this is a small stream and these smaller fish aren't as smart. They have a smaller IQ. No, they, they key in on hatches. And so, you know, watch for blueing olives or caddis or whatever it might be. Uh Sometimes you have to match the hatch, although I think that usually is more in terms of size uh, than it is you know, the, the actual pattern. Small spring creeks are meant for dry fly fishing. Uh, that's the great joy. And I yeah. think many of these smaller creeks are really hard to nymph fish. And I think the approach that you take now at some of the, the creeks that we fish in Minnesota, this idea of having a dry fly uh, on the top and then dropping a nymph six to eight inches is probably the best way to quote unquote nymph fish uh, these smaller creeks simply because you don't have long runs and, and, and deep enough runs to drift, a, uh, to drift a nymph down. So I would say another one is uh, to keep your casts short, maybe learn the roll cast and often in these smaller creeks, you have pine trees and brush and grass. And so there is a sense of more precision that you, that you need in a small creek. On the other hand, some of these brook trout in smaller creek, which is what you catch often in a smaller creek, the colder, uh, colder creeks, they tend to be pretty forgiving. And, but I do think these shorter casts and learning the roll cast uh, both are important to improving your success on the small creek. Uh, something else I'd suggest is be careful that you don't fall and ram a stick into your leg. Oh man, I, I think I've I think I've uh, had more bruises and scrapes and scratches and wounds uh, when I'm fishing small streams than bigger rivers. And I thought, huh, why is that? Well, if, if you get out on the Yellowstone, I mean, you might have. Uh, uh, you might have some rocks at the edge or something, but for the most part, you're not having to scramble through brush and you know, you, you've got bigger banks, but these small streams, they're often in, in wooded areas and you know, maybe even thicker stuff. And boy, a few times I, I remember in Rocky Mountain National Park about four years ago, I, I was up above Mills Lake in this little creek and uh, rammed a stick into my leg and I had to you know I had to stop and I, I thankfully in my little day pack I had a bandana and I had to I had to you know, take a piece of gauze and use the bandana to bandage that just to stop the bleeding Holy it was, cow yeah it was pretty deep I think I still have a scar there I couldn't tell you which one because I have so many scars on my legs from years of you know, fishing little creeks. So you do have to be careful. Again, there's there's dangers to both big and large, big rivers and, and small streams. And some of those overlap, but I do think small streams, uh, uh, yeah, you're, you're scrambling a little bit more, so be careful. 
You mentioned this already about keeping expectations realistic, and I think that's really true in the smaller creeks. We fish in the Minnesota Driftless and the Wisconsin Driftless a lot, and I've just had to realize, hey, if I catch a 15-inch brown trout, which I did recently in, uh, I think it was on the Blue River, that is just an amazing fish. And obviously we're fishing with lighter tackle, so it does feel like a bigger fish. But if you've been fishing in the bigger rivers, sometimes your expectations are overblown because every so often on a bigger river, you can catch a 19-incher, a 22-incher, or even 23, 24. That's just not going to happen in these smaller creeks. So your point about keeping things uh, realistic, I think, is really important. Yeah, maybe a last thing, uh, you know, any... You know, any tips on how to find, um, yeah, these these streams? I mean, you, you talked a little bit about that already, but maybe we ought to revisit that. Uh, where do you even start? One of the hard things is getting good intel on any, on any stream that you fish if you don't live around the stream. So... Um, again, I think going to the local fly shops, I mentioned earlier that some of the data that you get from them is less because they don't, uh, they don't, they're not doing guide, guided trips on these small creeks, although that's not fully true. I think um, in some parts of the Yellowstone National Park, like when we were in Gardner area, there's a guide, there's a shop, Parks Fly Shop, and they do guided trips on some of the, the smaller creeks or some of the you know beaver ponds higher up in the in Yellowstone National Park but in general your intel is going to be less as i mentioned earlier at these fly shops but it is worth um, it is worth talking to them and asking who they might know who has fished this creek um, and and generally the response will be well we don't haven't fished in a long time but yeah there are trout up there sometimes that is valuable in and of itself and and so that's that's what you have to do i think you have to collect intel on these smaller creeks especially if you're coming from outside of montana and you're and you want to fish montana smaller creeks well that's how we discovered fan creek remember it was a guy at uh, fins and feathers in bozeman who who said oh yeah you know here's a place i fished before you ought to try this and, and we did and that was that was a lot of fun I think something else at, at the risk of stating the obvious is to follow those streams that empty into the larger rivers. I mean, having lived and had family in Paradise Valley, south of Livingston, Montana, for years, I, I remember when I lived there uh, thinking, man, you know, I'm, I'm going to try Mill Creek. I'm going to try Pine Creek. These are all creeks that empty into uh, the river or deep creek or or big creek you know the it's, it's funny i think every every state or every other county has a deep creek or a big creek <laughs> i guess everybody was really getting tired late at night when somehow they were forced to come up with a name for the, the river for the stream <laughs> but anyway uh, I've, I've had some good fishing in some of those creeks and again everybody's pounding the larger river uh you know, follow that creek up on a map. See if there's some access. Maybe it goes up into Forest Service land or or there's a bridge where you can get access if you're in Montana. Yeah, using that stream access law. So, uh, yeah, those are some of the things that, that you can do. And uh, it's, uh, it's a real treat when you find, uh, you know, uh, a 
a good little stream or several that, that you can go to. And I think that's what we're saying today, that uh, one of the greatest fly fishing experiences on the small creek. So, yeah, enjoy the bigger rivers. Uh, we do that, but don't ignore the creeks. Uh, unless, of course, Dave and I are in Montana, uh, then please stay on those big rivers and leave the <laughs> creeks to us. <laughs> get off of my cloud. Oh, get off yeah. of my stream. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. It's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a comment we received from Pam on our recent episode on midsummer fly fishing tips. Uh, we talked a little bit about wet wading, and Pam offered us some really terrific advice. Uh, this is what she said. I wet wade during the heat of these days, but especially the Wisconsin Driftless, you should use the long, quick-dry pants and shirts because of the wild parsnips. You do not want to get that on you. The breakouts are much worse, all caps, than poison ivy blisters. Whoa. <laughs> Holy cow. I have I not even no thought it. No, I, I had no idea. Dave, uh, maybe you could take a moment and look that up. Look up parsnips. I mean, I, I don't know the first thing about wild parsnips. I don't. I've I've had a lot of experience, unfortunately, with poison ivy back in my grandparents' farm in Pennsylvania. But that just never crossed my radar. Uh, any Anything you're finding online, Dave? Hold on, hold on. It's just pulling up. Here it is. Wild parsnip. Uh, a non-native plant was first discovered in Minnesota in the 1990s, so it's an invasive species. While this plant caused a range of impacts to the environment, the largest concern from this invading species is its ability to inflict burns to the skin of people that come into contact with the sap from the plant. Wild parsnip is found in open places such as roadsides, pastures, and disturbed areas. And apparently also along Spring Creeks in the Driftless. <laughs> oh, great. One more thing to worry about, huh? Man. <laughs> it says it says that uh, it inflicts burns and it, 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 uh, it causes a chemical burn that looks like a rash. Hmm. Wow. And if you get it, let's see, if you get it, uh, the, uh, it says to relieve the symptoms first. Uh, the affected area can be covered with a cool, wet cloth, and if blisters are present, goodness, try to keep them from rupturing for as long as possible. The skin of a blister is nature's bandage, as one doctor put it. All right. Wow. Wow. Man, we really appreciate uh, Pam bringing that to our attention. I'm going to go online and see a picture of them because I have no idea what wild parsnip looks like, but it sounds like <laughs> we better learn, huh? I haven't had it yet, and uh, but her point to wear longer dry-fit pants is exactly right on. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Well, that's going to do it for today. Thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing.